0: Welcome to Talking
1: Tourism, the podcast series created specifically for tourism operators. Talking Tourism, the expert series, is the ultimate resource for business owners who want to lift their skills to the next level. If you want to learn how to be a better tourism operator, listen on. again and welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series especially for tourism operators and industry professionals. I'm Emma Azon Giacometti and I'll be your host for today's episode. Talking Tourism is an initiative of TICT, Tourism Industry Council, which is the peak industry body for the tourism industry in our magnificent state of Tassie. If you're a regular listener to Talking Tourism, we welcome you back, and if this is your first time tuning in and you enjoy today's episode, remember there's now over 80 Talking Tourism conversations available from wherever you access your podcasts, or you can just jump on our website, tict.com.au, and stream them from there. Now, we're going to jump into today's conversation. I've got Melinda Anderson here with me. She's the Marketing Manager at Pennycott Wilderness Journeys. G'day to you, Melinda. Hi, Emma. Good to have you here with us. Melinda, you've just uh, had a bit of a chat at the Tasmanian Tourism Conference about sales and marketing around a pretty specific topic that we're going to jump into shortly. First of all, tell us a bit about yourself. What's your background and how come you know so much about sales and marketing?
0: Oh, I don't know if I do, (laughs) but my background is I'm actually a Hobart girl. So grew up here, but left and went to Victoria as soon as university finished, but got straight into tourism. Worked at places like tourism, Ta- uh, tourism Victoria, Sovereign Hill, and I was their marketing director at Sovereign Hill in Ballarat before heading over to the Barossa Valley for five years. And then I came back to Tassie about eight and a half years ago now, and I headed up the destination Southern Tasmania, the mm-hmm. regional tourism board, then joined Pennicott Wilderness Journeys about three and a half years ago as their marketing manager. So I'd say a lot of tourism marketing, my background but general management as well in tourism great what brought you back to tasmania I had a young daughter and uh, my parents were getting older and it seemed a good time to reconnect with family and have her grow up in this amazing place. Yeah. And has it been the right choice? It has. It did take me a couple of years to get back into it when you've been away for a while, but now, and particularly now, I can't think of being anywhere better. Yeah. Awesome. Good to know. So, sales and
1: marketing sort of your bread and butter. That's what you do um, in your current role with Pentecost Wilderness Journeys. For those who don't work in sales and marketing, we've got a bunch of tourism operators who who might not have their finger in that pie. Certainly, I don't and don't have a lot of experience in it. What do we mean when we say sales and marketing?
0: I guess at the end of the day, it's getting your experience or product bought by someone. Mm-hmm. So, it's all the tools and strategies to make sure the product gets to market and people can buy it. So, it's about having the right product in the right place at the right time and uh, telling the right story about it. That's it in a nutshell. I guess traditionally, sales or one, one-on-one one sales or personal sales is a really key part of that marketing channel. And then that's evolved with, you know, print advertising, television, advertising, radio, a lot of that above the line stuff. And then there's the below the line stuff, which is more that organic recommendation referral. And we've grown to obviously lots of digital techniques. So now people are confronted with a whole lot of different channels of how they can tell people about their experiences. And the challenge is which one or which ones should you be investing in and uh, that are right for your business? So,
1: when we say traditional sales and marketing, where's the line of everything that you just listed off? Where does it stop being traditional and starts becoming whatever we're calling non-traditional? Is Absolutely. that modern, it,
0: contemporary? Well, it's really hard, isn't it? Because for me, we do some things that other people might think are a bit old hat, but are actually crucial to our business. Mm -hmm. So in that way, you would say that's contemporary because that is how we're looking after our business. It's a contemporary business and people are buying the experience. So, but traditionally, I would suggest it's that more traditional distribution channels of going through travel agents, Mm -hmm. that advertising where people could actually see it you know, read it and watch it on television, etc., like that, and and sort of more that personal sales calls, knocking on doors, visiting people and trying to sell, whereas the more contemporary digital age publicity activities are probably the more contemporary ones. Yeah, sure. But there's new channels coming in all the time. We've also got the increasing, definitely the digital, you know, channels have really opened up with online travel agents. So you get your guys, your vitals, Expedias, um, TripAdvisor, those sorts of avenues or booking.com, which suddenly are whole new channels for people to find out about your product uh, versus those more sort of in your own home, kind of looking at an ad way, I guess.
1: Yeah. So mm. for yourself, having spent sort of two decades within the industry and and dabbling around that marketing space, how how has it been adapting to those new forms of Sales
0: marketing techniques coming through. It's really interesting because my thoughts are that they're just more channels, mm-hmm. and really it's about looking at your budget. Where should you be investing, and what's the best return for your investment? And that's going to be different for every single product. So it's not about if you had endless money, you would probably do everything. Yeah, because you'd go, well, they all have their pros and cons for why you would do them. But if you've only got five thousand dollars you know, where, and that's going to last you 12 months, where should you be putting it to actually get your product to market? So yeah.
1: What what sorts of questions should someone be asking themselves to answer that ultimate question? If you did have a $5,000 marketing budget, Mm. how do you weigh up the pros and cons of the different tools at your disposal?
0: Absolutely. I think you need to look at what's your goal. So what are you actually hoping to achieve in the year? Is it raise awareness? Is it to sell a certain amount of, Seats on a cruise or rooms or whatever it might be. And then when you have those goals, then underneath that, you'll go, well, what's the best way for me to achieve that goal? We have two key goals. One is around awareness. It's really important that people are aware of Pendicott Wilderness Journeys, all the different products we have on offer, and it's in the back of their mind when they're considering. And that might be two years away or three years away. So it's about just having messages there that keep us top of mind. And then there's the actual, I need someone to purchase now. So what are those decisions? How do I influence that? And what are the best ways to do that? So at the moment, we've done sort of special vouchers which we never do but with this current uh, economic climate we have done some specials we have sold them purely by social media and that has worked incredibly effectively i can see exactly how much money i'm spending exactly how many vouchers i'm um, selling and then what that return on investment is so that's really easy to measure when i look at something like awareness which is not necessarily transferring into anything that's a little bit more of I have to trust my gut a lot more around what's working and what's cost effective. But things that we always look at is also how we can leverage. So, the best things we can leverage off are partnerships. Mm -hmm. So, who can we work with? And it may be a conversion partner, like someone who might sell our crew. So, maybe someone who packages. So, we... Package with Fresno Lodge, for example, on our Wineglass Bay cruise, that works really well because they're in the same location. Or it could be concierges on a front desk of our, of our hotels who tell... Uh, we, a lot of our guests make a decision within three days of travel on our cruise. So it might be the day before. Weather's looking great. What should I do? They ask for a recommendation. Or it could be at a visitor centre even. So we actually put a lot of effort into having a presence at gateway areas like the airport, like in hotels, uh, in visitor centres, because that word of mouth referral is so important. And you may not see it in direct sales, but we know that every little connection you have or referral holds so much weight. So it is really hard when you're looking at your spend to go, which are the things I can directly measure and which I can't. But sometimes you have to make a considered decision around what you think works best sure. for you. But we find that referral is absolutely um, essential. Uh, to us. So we, even though it perhaps isn't as high as it used to be. So traditionally that would have been a really large part of our marketing. We still have a very strong, like we invest heavily in a for meals program with industry where we will host them and make sure they've gone out and experienced our experiences so they can talk about it as well as industry discounting. And that's something that we are really committed to because of, we know we get those outcomes.
1: And then are you able to measure that sort of the, the outcomes of a referral program like that?
0: We can, if there's a direct sale from a hotel, we do actually pay commission to sure. any agents in Tasmania that sell us. So that's easy to track. But when it's a straight referral, we might know, if we off, we always ask our guests where they're staying. So we, we have an understanding of if they've they've just booked on that day and they're staying at the old wool store, it's highly likely that referral program. But it's a lot more manual. You know, it's not like a social media ad where we can go, that much spend, this many clicks, and this is what yeah. the outcome was. So. It is harder and and that's where you have to look at your different ways of measuring and um, some are going to be much more quantitative than others. Yes. But you do need to take in that qualitative um, sort of anecdotal evidence that that you get. So data is obviously very
1: important. I mean, you even mentioned something as specific as, you know, that the lead time for a booking is typically around three days, but it's not king necessarily no. to have that data. It is the sort of that gut instinct and, and having the conversation with a consumer to understand what's going on Absolutely. in the market. Absolutely.
0: And I do think, you, you know, it's really important to, as I said, if you're looking at a very small budget of $5,000 or might be $100,000, you start with what's key and where what are the things that you yeah, must have and then you supplement it with the, the other things. And there's lots of things you can do that don't cost money or may cost in terms of an experience. So with the publicity program, that's generally your time in writing media releases or trying to connect the journalists. So that's a lot of busy time versus an actual spend outside of a a salaried person's time, unless you're having to contract out for a a PR agent or something like that. So I guess it's looking at what are the ones that are real costs that I have to actually pay for that activity, then what are the things that are more my time costs and how much effort I should put into those. And then, um, you know, and balancing where you put your time and effort, which things you outsource and which things you keep in-house. Sure.
1: Do Um, you think that financial cost-benefit sort of paradigm, has has that influenced a shift from what we know as traditional media, which to my understanding is typically pretty expensive, to these more um, contemporary, I think we're calling them,
0: tools that people are using now? Are they cheaper financially? Absolutely cheaper. Mm But I guess it's interesting, when I was at Sovereign Hill, we used to always do a TV ad in summer around the Tennis Open and that worked incredibly well. Mm. So, but it cost a lot of money Um, and that whole budget that I would have spent then, I do not spend now. Right. However, that was to a Melbourne market on Metropolitan Television, which was a significant reach and Mm -hmm. in terms of um, whilst there's a significant cost, I still think you have to consider place dependent on your budget. But if you have a small budget, digital mediums are going to be a lot more cost effective. Yes. Firstly, making sure you've got a great website that people can find and that it ranks really highly is really important. Then it's the next things like what messages I might put out there like your general social media. We actually focus a lot on organic content rather than paid content Mm -hmm. with social media. Again, that doesn't cost anything. That's actually making sure we've got great user-generated content that we engage with our guests, get them to share and Ask them if it's okay for us to share, so there's no issues there. They love it. Their friends see it. They talk about it and go, "Wow, you saw dolphins! Awesome!" Whereas a paid social ad is never going to have the same impact of an organic, user-generated piece of content that someone sees. My friend enjoying that, great. I want to do that. An ad will look similar, but people are getting pretty savvy around what's a sponsored post, etc. But it is a much cheaper way to go. And as I said, with our vouchers that we're doing you know, for an investment of maybe $500, you know, I'm selling hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm. So there is, that's a significant return on investment, but it wouldn't always work. So it works because the offer is very good Mm. and that it's short term. Sure. So if I was doing ads every single week, day in, day out with the same message without an offer... Then you'd be going, hold on, how often should I be doing that? I might reduce my spend on that and have that as a general awareness program and support it with other things. So every it's all comes back to your goal. If your goal is to sell something and you've got a specific price and it's a certain amount of time frame, then you're gonna invest a bit more to push that. And then if it's general awareness going through, you're gonna have to have things that are on all the time, if that makes sense. No, so you're it gonna does, have to have I messaging think, going yeah. all the time. But there's lots of channels, which is great. So there's lots of ways that you can do things that um, don't cost a lot of money, uh, that you can do yourself, and it's just giving yourself the time to do it. Which is amazing, isn't
1: it? I wonder if sort of 10 or 15 years ago, we could have conceived that you could spend... In some cases, nothing. User generated content. The business doesn't necessarily spend a cent. No, just a person but doing it. an ROI on that in in some way, shape, or form, which is something we probably never would have imagined some time ago.
0: Absolutely, yeah. and I think, and and not everyone can do this. When you're uh, a small business, you can't necessarily. Uh, not necessarily have time to do everything yourself, but I must say with user-generated content, it definitely, when it comes from the heart and yes, you're telling about yeah. the story, you're taking someone's story going, it was so amazing to share this with so-and-so today, it does come across so... Um, it's authentic. It does. Yeah. And also nimble. And one of the things I love about social media at the moment is if we see a whale right now, one of my crew will send it to me. I can post it in five minutes. So we've seen a whale today. Yeah. Whereas if you've outsourced that, you're waiting for the person who you've outsourced to to turn it around, fit with a a Mm. schedule program. So none of it's wrong. It's all about what works for you. So if you need quick messages out now, not reliant, great to have more in-house and the more planned stuff, obviously, you can you know put out externally if that's yeah. what you need to do.
1: Yeah, great. I think it would be remiss of me not to ask uh, if anything's changed in the sales and marketing space over the last 18 months. We're recording this in August 2021. Obviously, the world has changed in, it feels like, every way. Has it
0: impacted how we sell products? We have different audiences at the moment. Of course. So, it's impacted on that. Yeah. So, we are traditionally not a Tasmanian product. Um, I don't mean we don't have great support from our Tasmanian community, but about 13% of our market is Tasmanian, traditionally. Uh, currently, it's 38%. Wow. So, that may our priority might have been on different markets before now, whereas obviously now we're, we're having to look at what's our product for the Tasmanian market? Do we do anything special for them? And how do we talk to them? So, that does influence the methods that you use. How so? What have you changed? Well, it's a lot easier to we've always used publicity locally, but obviously we have we're very lucky in Tasmania to have access to media mm. that is traditional media. Yes. But that does talk to its audiences and has a really high rating, whether it be the local newspaper or in any of the the major cities, television, you know, we have on um, we have production in Tasmania. Mm-hmm. So there's a real opportunity to obviously use those to really talk to that Tasmanian audience. And we've always done that, but if it wasn't your priority, you might have looked at other media, for example. Sure. Whereas your publicity programs around there become really important and your core messaging. So you may consider, we did some live radio reads uh, not long ago, which we traditionally don't do, but that was to make sure our messages were getting out um, because we wanted to make sure our Tasmanians were hearing it. So sure. that's completely changed what we're doing. But digital is definitely king. People are looking Generally on their um, digital mediums a lot. So even our online travel agents, which are the largest growing sellers of, of travel internationally, the major ones at the moment have had exponential growth in this time period. Amazing. So even though we've got border closures and things like that, we're actually seeing large growth in the major players in that space. And interestingly, domestic audiences are using them, including Tasmanians. Right. So sometimes we will get a contact from a Tasmanian saying, oh, I've booked this with you, and we have to look it up and go, actually, no, you didn't. You booked Through it with, an OTA. Get your guide or something like that. Amazing. Absolutely. And they don't know. So this is the challenge because there's, a been, there's definitely been a shift in the OTAs investing in domestic promotion. Sure. Makes sense. So they're getting their way up there in the Google searching so that even in our local markets they're seeing that. So that's an interesting change. The other thing is in this current climate, there's real engagement around stories on social media. There's definitely trends like, you know, the other sorts of stories in terms of Instagram and Facebook stories and things like that yes. that people used to, and reels and, you know, all that technical stuff. But I find at the moment for us, people just want to talk to us on social media. They just want to have conversations. So there's definitely. That immediate contact, which has sort of always been there, but it seems more so that they're commenting on our posts, they're chatting. When will I see whales? And then, you know, you know, it's wow. a real sort of relationship building that people are looking for at the moment. So, it's definitely via that digital channel, but there's still that personalisation. So that's the challenge that people still want what is traditional in yes, terms of that yeah. one-on-one contact but they want to see it they want to see in it other mediums. Yeah. yeah. So
1: what does that, because I mean, the digital world is 24-7. Yes. What does that
0: mean for you I as a business? means look at the phone wow, at lucky you. whatever time <laughs> it has, yeah. As a message so, to everyone, Melinda's available 24-7 via yeah. yeah. Instagram yeah. Yes. at Penny Cult I Witness do fall journeys. asleep quite <laughs> early though, but generally, yes. And that is hard for people. You know, thank goodness for notifications on the phone if it's, looks like something I need to answer straight away, I try and answer it.
1: Wow. Okay. So, that that's definitely something that businesses need to be thinking about if they yeah. haven't yet is that there might actually be a new role or certainly some awareness around people wanting that immediacy of, of engagement when definitely. they're online.
0: And what's reasonable? I mean, I think it's very fair to say, look, we're not here from this time to this time. Yes. But at the same time, I tend to answer whenever I can because you can see that people are wanting that connection. Yeah. So, if you can do it, that's great. I'm certainly not saying it's feasible in all sorts of businesses, but that is what the customer is looking for. Incredible. I think things will
1: continue to change. But the question you were just asked in that that panel was, is traditional sales and marketing dead? I think I know the answer, but over to you, Melinda. Is it dead?
0: I would say it's not. And- I just think there's a whole lot more channels for you to be evaluating and looking at what is right for your business and for your audience and how they want to hear from you. So the most important thing is look at your budget, your resources... And what's the most cost effective way for you to get the best return on investment and achieve your goals?
1: Awesome. Love it. You have rounded that up so beautifully. And I think we should probably segue into the big seven of which you have had some warning. We ask these these seven questions of all of our podcast interviewees. And we'll kick it off with number one, your
0: favourite spot in Tasmania and why? Coles Bay on the East Coast. Uh, We've had a shack there since I shouldn't say how long, but since 1972 and it just holds a very special place in my heart. Yeah, beautiful. Um, what about
1: if you could travel anywhere in the world right now? What's your favourite travel, travel destination?
0: Do you know, it would be Coles Bay at the moment. I haven't been there Fantastic. for a while and I feel it's the one place I feel I can truly escape and just tone down the noise. A true Tassie ambassador. We love it. What if someone was coming to
1: Tassie for the first time in their life? I think this question is so hard. They ask you, what's the one thing they absolutely must experience while they're here? What would you tell them?
0: Yes, I don't have one, but... I'm a foodie, and so it had to be food in Hobart. Good. And then I said Salamanca and then I said Port Arthur in terms of the whole region and the experience because it's mind blowing. Are you going to tell us anything specific around food, or don't want to play favourites? <laughs> well, I don't. I'm not going to play favourites, but I just think you you have to immerse yourself it's in the food culture scene, isn't it? Of, of Hobart. Yeah. it's just yeah, it's so special, so fresh, so amazing. And I was very careful not to say one of our experiences because I thought that would look very biased. <laughs> a little biased. So, yeah. Well done. I'm <laughs>
1: sure it's been said by other people anyway.
0: Uh, have you walked the Overland track? Do you know? I'm not a walker. I've done the Three Capes track. And well, then so, you're a walker, for goodness sake. That's yes, very good. but it was under jurist. <laughs> um, so I haven't done
1: the Overland. If you were to do it, as you probably know, it's five days long. You can take three people with you, whoever you want. Famous, not famous, living, dead. Who are they?
0: And I definitely probably wouldn't do it because I am so lazy. <laughs> but I had a think and I would love Otterlenghi there for food. Oh, wonderful. And then I thought I'd like Chris Hemsworth because he's just gorgeous and why wouldn't you take Thor be. with Great. you wherever mm-hmm. you could. And then I thought actually maybe my 14-year-old daughter who would come kicking and screaming but... But Chris
1: Hemsworth, Hemsworth would be there. Well, absolutely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Thor, she'd come in anywhere for Thor. But also... Um, to be able to spend some quality time, yeah, it's very hard to spend some time without getting mumbled at at the moment. So that would be nice. her down for five yeah. days. What if you're road tripping, probably more your style around yes, Tasmania? absolutely. What are you listening to in the car? I think at the moment it'd be Vance Joy. Okay. A bit of that sort of earthy, you know, just sort of acoustic style. Yeah, yeah,
1: like it. And when you get to your destination, maybe you're rocking up to Coles Bay finally, what are you going to have as your first drink?
0: It's definitely a Tassie Gin and mm. I'm not picky. They're all pretty good. They are really, aren't they? Do you drink it tonic, soda, neat? I have it pretty strong with a dash of... Tonic and Kim Seagram, who is well known in this, in this area, taught me how to do that.
1: She would know what she's we don't talking have about when it tonic, comes so you to gin. go double gin with a splash of tonic. I love it. A woman after my own heart. And the last one this is a, a big debate curried Tasmanian scallops. What are they, a culinary delight or a culinary crime?
0: I think they're probably a crime. I mm. think you should just grill scallops with a bit of lemon, like just flash or flash fry really quick, just fresh as and. I think you're probably right. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Melinda. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you about all things sales and marketing and to have your insights into how you're doing things with Pentecost. Really appreciate your time. Thanks. And thank you to our listeners for listening to today's episode of Talking Tourism. Remember, you can subscribe to hear more episodes. We're releasing them about every two weeks. And don't forget to tell a friend or a colleague in the tourism industry so they can check out our podcasts as well. As I mentioned earlier, Talking Tourism is an initiative of TICT and I'm your host. Emma azon Jacometti. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Talking Tourism, brought to you by Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. For show notes, other materials and episodes, head to tict.com.au. Be sure to come back every fortnight for a new instalment of Talking Tourism.